Hey there, you're listening to Film Spotting Streaming Video Units. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. And for the last six years, this has been a podcast about streaming movies, series, and everything in between. On this, the final episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit, Allison and I go back to the beginning. On the first episode of SVU, we reviewed the documentary Justin Bieber, Never Say Never. For the life of me, I don't remember why, but we did. Well, you were very into Justin Bieber six years ago, Matt. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was um, that was a weird phase. Anyway, what better final movie to review on the last SVU than the film that so brilliantly spoofed the movie we reviewed on the first SVU? So our final SVU review will be The Lonely Island's pop star Never Stop, Never Stopping. But just because we chose the review this time, that doesn't mean we're skipping listener's choice. In fact, we are going to do the ultimate listener's choice. Wow. Yeah. If you could do that all this time, why did you wait until the last episode? I'm lazy. That's fair. That's right. After we review Popstar, we are throwing it open to you, the listeners. We ask you to send us questions, any questions about any subject you wanted answered on our farewell, and you responded with dozens of them. We're going to answer them all in our... Wait, 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 wait. Can I say it this time? Fine. Go ahead. <clears throat> Alt- <clears throat> Alt- oh, 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 mm. Ultimate listener. How come I don't get the cool sound effect? You have to talk to the editor, Matt. But I'm the editor. Well, I guess I'm just cooler then. <sighs> Fine. All right. Well, if we don't get this final show on the road, we will never stop, never stopping. So let's get to our review of Popstar. Usually I don't like to read reviews, but I'm just excited. Like, I can't, I can't wait. I want to know how people feel about it, and I want to know how much they love it. So, uh, here we go. Um, what do you see? Well, it's Pitchfork. It's they gave it a negative review. They didn't like it. No, like it's a negative four out of ten, positive ten. I assume Pitchfork can be kind of pretentious, though. So, uh, oh, what? You ain't gonna knock my hustle. Let's look at another one. Let's pull it up. Rolling Stone. Okay. Um, out of four possible stars, Rolling Stone has given it the emoji. I can only assume it's a um, a mess up. You know, they must have had a a problem with their. Um... No, this seems like the right score for how they're saying this. For six years here on Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit, we've let you tell us what you'd like us to talk about next based on your votes, uh, which definitely has sometimes led to us watching titles that probably weren't the ones we would have chosen ourselves, uh, which has been part of the fun. You know, the thinking there was that regular listeners would be able to direct and have input into the podcast, that it would be a collaborative process, uh, but also that offering selections to choose from felt like a reflection of the on-demand era, you know, which has really been an era of sometimes dizzying choices, something we hope this podcast provided uh, maybe a little bit of a guide through. 
But for this final episode, we are taking charge and picking the film, and it's not even available for streaming or for rental. What are they going to do, Allison? Fire us? Uh, stop listening? Uh, for mystifying reasons. Because uh, it really seems like the kind of film that will become a beloved internet cult classic once it does finally someday hit streaming. We wanted to talk about pop star Never Stop Never Stopping, both because it does seem like the kind of film that will have an infinitely more successful life on streaming than it did in theaters, but also because it seemed like such a fitting bookend to the title we kicked off SVU with back in January 30th, 2012. That would be the John M. Chu-directed documentary, Justin Bieber, Never Say Never. I think at the time, Adam from Film Spotting Maine said something that was like, oh, this is a bold, or maybe he said it was like a brave choice, <laughs> which I, I... We're very brave. Yeah. I don't remember what our thinking was in picking it. No. I, I don't That's what I said in the intro. Yeah. No idea. And I, I couldn't bring myself to go back and listen to it because you know how I feel about listening to my own mm. voice. Maybe I'll throw a little snippet in here somewhere mm. as an Easter egg. I yeah. don't know. But I will say, like, just, just guessing, you know, what... Six years ago, us we were thinking. Uh, it does seem like the kind of film that, uh, like, is a fitting choice for the streaming experience in which the bar to entry is lower, for better and worse, uh, than it would be when you actually have to choose to go out to a theater and see something. Uh, made it easier to try out a film that would not fit into any obvious prestige lineup about documentaries or concert documentaries, but it did get some attention for its filmmaking and for its portrayal of a very contemporary sort of stardom. And clearly, the Lonely Island team of Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, and Yorma Taccone noticed the film too, uh, since the mockumentary that they made, uh, Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping, owes as much to Never Say Never as it does to the obvious influence of This Is Spinal Tap in its portrayal of a pop star named Connor For Real, played by Sandberg, as he embarks on a disastrous tour to promote his second album. Matt, Pop Star was a box office flop. It made $9.6 on its $20 million budget. In contrast, that's you, not it opening weekend. That's, that's the entire, total run. I know. Yes. It's like, it's a crushing shocking. number. It's shocking. <laughs> it really it seems impossible. Um, do you know how much Never Say Never made at the box office? Wow. Great question. I don't. I'm going to guess 35 million bucks. 99 million. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a different era of Bieber fandom also. And, you know, his fandom at that time was like would come out just to show support yeah it was the ape to, that was like the apex yeah of his like young girl fandom basically right. the people who are like i need to show this i need this movie to be number one to right. show my support uh so i want to know do you think the fact that pop star didn't catch on is because comedy as we've seen in the last few years has become an increasingly difficult and un to, to market and unpredictable thing at the box office or do you think it's because even though this seems like a slam dunk to us Maybe, as intersections go, a Justin Bieber doc by way of Spinal Tap is a little more specialized than we would think. Maybe that is true. I, it is, to me, it's mystifying, though, that it did so poorly. I, would I expect this movie to make $100 million? No. Would I expect it to make 35 to 50? Easily. And I, I, so I do, I do look at that number and I'm sort of mystified. But then again, you know, MacGruber, which came from a lot of these uh, same uh, creators, or at least a couple of them, made a similarly – I think that made like $11 million, and that's a amazing film as well. 
So I don't know. Maybe there's something about these guys, the Lonely Island, and their their sort of affiliates that plays better on a small screen, or that people feel because they are um, or were. By this point, they were pretty much gone from SNL anyway. But I was going to say because they're on television, that sometimes the same thing with SNL move like official SNL movies, like a MacGruber, it can be hard to convince someone to pay for something that they're used to seeing for free on television. But I, I still don't – I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe that um, you know that Bieber audience, they're probably hard to convince to go see something that's going to make fun of their hero. So you're not going to get the, – the $99 million that, of people that came to see the Bieber doc, I would say they're the Venn diagram overlap of the <laughs> audience of that movie and Popstar is probably very, very slim. Sure. So I guess that's a lot of different factors. Um, but I, I just want to say before we go any further that this movie is amazing and I liked it when I saw it. I, I, I don't think I reviewed it, but I saw it uh, when it came out and thought it was funny. The one issue I had then was it felt a little too much like Spinal Tap. I felt like you could really feel that they had basically taken the Bieber doc and smashed it against Spinal Tap and shaken it and this is what fell out. Now I just don't care about that uh-huh. and it's just so <laughs> freaking funny that I – who cares that it's a lot like Spinal Tap? It's hilariously funny. And I was sitting in my uh, in my bedroom late at night watching this on my laptop, laughing my, my butt off. Yeah, I feel like I don't mind the fact that it, it pulls very strongly from Spinal Tap just because it feels like such an update of Spinal Tap. You know, I, I both That's in true. like the general arc of... Uh, you know, the, the group kind of splitting up and getting the group back together at the end, the reconciliation spoilers, not really, I mean, but that also the ways in which it, it deals with the absurdity of arena shows in this contemporary era. And also like the ways it, it, it translates, uh, Spinal Tap's approach to fandom, to a contemporary fandom. You know, one of the things I love about Connor for real, he's only had one album, you know? <laughs> like, this is only his second album. Right. And I think there is, like, it, it gets at something about contemporary fame in the ways in which people can desert you so quickly and you can mm. have a big moment and then be gone. Right. Uh, I, it gets at that so well uh, in ways that I really enjoy. And that's before you get into all of the ways that Connor's music is just like all of these incredible uh, spoofs of some like songs that you were supposed to recognize, uh, like a certain Macklemore song, but then also songs that are just ridiculous uh, in a really enjoyable way. The songs are amazing. Yes. Uh, and whatever song I'm supposed to recognize, I don't because I'm an old man and I, they don't play Macklemore on the Yacht Rock station on Sirius XM. So whatever <laughs> song that is, I don't get it. But I, I, the songs are hilarious to me. And the the music is good too. Like they're, I mean, it's very much like Spinal Tap, where Spinal Tap is like a very credible band. Spinal Tap toured, just like the Lonely Island is a have have toured, and they they can they perform live and they record albums. Like that's the thing. One of the keys of this movie is that they're they're legitimate musicians who just make funny music. Like they they have chops, they have cred. Um, you know, all of the songs they did on SNL. It's not just a fluke that they could pump out half a dozen or more like hits from like. Saturday Night Live, that's that's not an easy thing to do. And especially once you have one or two and the audience begins to expect them and demand them and the expectations rise, that's not easy to do. So the fact that they're talented musicians, I think, is hugely, hugely important and uh, should not be understated. Sure. The Bin Laden song, which oh. is like – 
amazingly horrifying lyrics. Amazing. Uh, it also does, it has a hook that like is impossible to get out oh, yeah. of your head. I have been humming that one. Actually, I've been humming that one and Mona, the Mona Lisa song. I don't know if it's called Mona Lisa, but the song about the Mona Lisa, yes. the, that overrated piece of you know what. I That song just makes me laugh so oh, hard. It's so good. The one that's his tribute to Spain. <laughs> so Ibiza? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're just laughing just thinking about him. That's a, that's a pretty uh, yeah. good sign. I do, like, I, you know, to that point also, though, like, his anxiety over, like, being seen as a has-been, I do think also is, like, as an element that this brings that, that is, I, I think, kind of separate from Spinal Tap. The idea that, you know, even though, like, nostalgia is its own kind of, like, obviously huge marketing tactic, Connor for real is so afraid of being linked back to his old right, the like, style you know, Beastie Boys, Boys knockoff band, yeah, the, the Style, style Boys, Boys, because it'll date him. It'll yes. make him seem like someone who's capitalizing on the past as opposed to kind of it's still new and fresh and right. hip. Like, this terror that time is always catching up to you right. is, is great. <laughs> yes. And there's plenty of stuff, too. I mean, watching it now, like... There are so many things that didn't exist for Spinal Tap to make fun of that now the the Lonely Island can make fun of in this. Like the TMZ, I think it's called CMZ. Yes. Whatever that show, the, the TMZ show is astoundingly funny also and so on the nose and like Will Arnett has like five uh, cups that he has. Yes. T- and at like one at point, point they're like duct taped together. And at one point he has like a mini cooler that he's <laughs> sipping out of. Yeah. So like things like that are great. And then the sort of intersection between um, marketing and uh, and 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 product or turning turning the music itself into like a non-musical product, like his his connection to the appliance company and trying to sell albums through appliances. I thought, I mean, all that stuff did not exist in 1984 when they're making Spinal Tap. And so they're able there's there's fertile territory to mine. So even though the structure is very similar there's lots of new targets. So I, I, I appreciated that more this time around. Yeah. And the ways in which they, they set up these really ridiculous situations and bits of physical comedy, uh, like his proposal to his maybe real or oh. maybe oh my gosh. Uh, publicist arranged to girlfriend. Imogen Poots. Yes. Uh, that involves seal and wolves <laughs> and like a live uh, string quartet is just really magnificent. Yes. Yeah. It's, I think, the fact that it's so silly, uh, I think, makes it sometimes, I think, easy to look at it as a throwaway movie when it's really involved. Like, it's very clever. Little bits, little throwaway bits. We've talked about this before, I think, on the podcast, but I am still in love with, uh, he's getting covered maybe on TMZ, and you see a clip of him passed out on a hoverboard, but standing and just kind of like rolling, <laughs> and the hoverboard catches on fire, which is like such a perfect little snippet yeah. that I love. I love... Uh, the, you know, Tyler, the creator character, Hunter the Hungry, who's right. played by Chris Red and is just so funny mm-hmm. as this, like, absolute, like, menace who does everything under the guise of pranks mm-hmm. and the ways in which everyone around him is like, this is fun. It's not fun. Um, it just is filled with so many clever details. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's, and it, it, it's like an 85 minute movie. It's the perfect length. It gets in, it gets out. It doesn't overstay its welcome. You didn't mention my favorite, like, non sequitur bit, which is Bill Hader. As the roadie who flatlines, <laughs> yes. inspired by the movie Flatliners, that's his hobby. And <laughs> I think he calls it F-lining at one point, which really makes me laugh. It's just great. I, 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 because we're just saying how wonderful this movie is, sure. I want to tell you, there's one thing that I feel like 
is a recurring gag that doesn't work, falls flat. Let's hear it. You want to you take a guess what it is? The one thing I don't like in this movie, like flat out, get rid of it. It's too cute. It doesn't work. Justin Timberlake? Boom. Uh-huh. Justin Timberlake <laughs> yeah. doesn't belong in this movie. He plays the, like their personal chef. But he's also super talented, and he sings, and they're always telling him to be quiet, right. and that's the joke because it's Justin Timberlake. Yes. Uh, to me, that is like the only thing that feels like it, like it's it's uh, back padding, and it's not really there to be funny. It's there to like wink at the audience. Yeah, it's a little self congratulatory, and very, very rarely is it. Yeah, you know, and like obviously. Andy Samberg and company have a lot of famous friends that they enlist in in many tiny parts or cameos right. or as themselves. Yes. Uh, and I think for the most part, they're really funny. Like, it doesn't feel like they're just cramming their friends into. But the Timberlake thing, I would agree. Is that's like, the one that to it's me, it's like when like he shows up, it kind of, it makes me go, uh, because it's, it, as you know. Tyler, a Tyrus Quash, the personal show. Right. And he's like cooking, he's like cutting types of carrots and he thinks it's funny when he says Julienne. Like that whole joke is that he says it uh, right. Sure. Uh, it doesn't work. Yeah. I do like when they run through everyone who's on Connor's payroll, though. All of the staff members, yes. which is just also excellent. Uh, and I <laughs> I feel like that is actually, it's been so long since I've seen, six years since I've seen Never Say Never. But there are multiple parts that are pulled directly from Never Say Never. And mm-hmm. I feel like that might be one of them. <laughs> I'm sure the, the, the Bieber fans will let us know. Yeah. Um, but I, I really enjoy the way this world is built out very solidly you know i think that and and i think there is like a a sweetness to it that is certainly helped by the fact that like these are three friends who have been friends since high school at least if not before then and uh eddie sandberg did go off and become the kind of most famous face yes so to kind of have a story that has vague echoes to the actual dynamic of their rise to fame and kind of experiences with fame while also ending on such a kind of wonderful note of collaboration in something we're watching that's a collaboration. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's something I was thinking about this time too, the the somewhat very the mildly autobiographical stuff where he is the front man, he's the one who became famous and these guys did have like they had their own sketch comedy show like a pilot for Fox that didn't get picked up and that's sort of how they wound up on SNL but instead of like all three of them becoming actors the faces, the right. faces I mean and they certainly appear on things but like right, not to but the degree that Andy Samberg I don't is think, a star I don't think anyone would disagree that Andy Samberg became the breakout star of and course. they became kind of his wingmen and that's sort of how what's echoed in the film and so I don't I mean I as you noted this is a collaboration they've continued to collaborate so I don't think there's a lot of animosity there, but I think it does kind of maybe tap into a little bit of maybe the awkwardness that might come from three friends who've grown up together, worked together. One of them becomes super duper famous. The other two become slightly less famous. And in a way, almost the film is like a sad kind of uh, epilogue to that because, the you know, Sandberg's the actor, but uh, Schaefer and Takone were the directors and the movie flopped. Yeah. And Andy Samberg, you know, does sitcoms. He's still very busy. Sure. I'm not suggesting the other guys have vanished off the face of the earth. But, but he has had the clearest, the most obvious career to follow. He's had the Connor for real uh, sure, uh, sure. without the appliance stuff. But <laughs> but uh, so I want, you know, it's almost like they could, if they made them, I wonder if they made the movie now, if it would if look it a, would little play a little bit different. different. Yeah, I Maybe wonder. Maybe like slightly more embittered. Maybe. I yeah. don't know. I think like it is. What I, it is, it, it's remarkably free from bitterness, which is like one of the things that makes it so 
go down so easily yes that uh regardless of how it may reflect those real life dynamics in some way it still is like it still reads like something that is made by a group of friends who who they think what they're making is really funny regardless of what the public thought at the time yeah i i getting like sort of looping back to that question it's like what do these guys have to do to make a hit movie i don't get it like i you know i don't think this movie could be that much funnier than it is no but i think that times have really changed for i mean i don't it's been a kind of recurring statement over you know like a box office read over the last few years that comedy has just been really difficult to sell and that it gets really kind of star driven and it's if it's not what like jumanji i think was like one of the more successful ones of oh, yeah. you know the last year it's it's really tough to get people to come out to see a comedy yeah it's weird and i don't really understand why Mm. Uh, you know i guess uh, and it's you know it's not like you know i was thinking about like they also made hot rod which i'm looking at it now that movie made more than this which is astounding to me because hot rod is definitely weirder and less accessible and much more it, it seems to be much more aiming for cult status than than this movie i mean this movie is it's not that weird it's not like you watch and you go oh i get why this flopped this is a weird movie this is for weirdos this is for you know yeah, this movie, like you were saying, you know, it should find a huge audience on streaming. It should find a huge audience on cable. Like it's a 85 minute crowd pleaser. It goes down really smooth. It's super funny. It's sweet. It has a nice message. The the acting is great. Has wonderful cameos, fun music. Like what what ingredient is missing that would take this movie from a from a nine million dollar movie to a ninety million dollar movie? I don't know. Other than a big name comedy star, like a, I don't know, like a Seth Rogen or something like, yeah, I, I, it's, I don't know. I, you know, and maybe also it's the mockumentary format that people don't find as appealing anymore. Or maybe it just kind of, it, I, I don't really I mean, have the an office answer. was on television sure. for like a billion years. With I know that. to the, I, it's not even just the office, like modern family kind of followed the, that format as well. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's your point too. When things sometimes, like when people feel like they're on TV, they're, yeah. they came from it's TV. Hard to bust out. That people don't want to pay to to go see them in a movie theater. But all uh, the more reason what you were what you were yeah. saying. Like once this winds up on television again, it should find an audience eventually. Yeah, it's weird. To it me deserves it, it. Yeah, but someday, someday it will. Someday it will turn up on streaming and we'll have its moments. And we'll get all the credit for uh, reviving it. <laughs> sure. Uh, in the meantime, you can find it for purchase digitally, not even rental. Uh, My but, advice would be to buy a, a Blu-ray because it's super cheap on Blu-ray and get the digital copy that comes with it. That's no, what I did. Magical. So we asked you... Uh, to ask us questions for this last episode. We turned it wide open. We said, you got questions about movies, about podcasting, about us, about the universe. Throw them at us. We'll do our best. <laughs> Which may be terrible. Uh, just warning. But we also got some really wonderful notes that we're not going to read out loud here. But really, I, I think like great and sometimes really moving uh notes from people who some are in the midst of shooting movies or people who've talked about like listening to us as they've traveled continents uh people who've told us they've considered us friends even though we've never met uh we read them all yes uh, we read really every single one great and very I nice really appreciate it and allison was like maybe we should and i was like hey, no it's over it's over give it up yeah um but so we we 
got a lot of questions and we yes. organized them roughly into sections. So mm-hmm. if there are some that were doubled up, we'll read a bunch of you guys your yeah. names together. Right. Sometimes and, we got uh, kind of overlapping questions. Yeah. So we sort of lumped them all together. We'll read one question and credit everyone who sent that question, that sort of thing. Yes. So we'll start off with a question we got from a lot of people. Uh, I won't read it directly from any one person, but it was basically to ask if we could recommend some other podcasts, uh, aside from, of course, the Film Spotting Mothership and The Next Picture Show, both of which are excellent podcasts that you should check out mm-hmm. if you are not already listening to. Uh, but specifically, people asked for other movie podcasts. Uh, we got asked for another podcast featuring, movie podcast featuring at least one woman's voice. Uh, and someone asked if we knew any other podcast that tackles streaming movies or series. So thank you to Jeff and Crystal and Angela and Scott and Jose for those questions. Mm. Um, I would recommend. I will confess right now. Yes. I don't listen to any movie podcasts. Okay. This just, whole experience has embittered you to the point. You want nothing it, to do with the I genre. I just found it too hard mm-hmm. to listen to more things about movies in addition to all of the time I spend right. professionally. I mean, it is your podcast. full-time job. Yes. And this uh, thing also. Yes. So I could not do that. But uh, I will recommend... Amy Nicholson of the Canon. She has a new podcast called Unspooled with I was gonna, Sheer. I was going to mention this one, too. So this gets a double recommendation, especially if you're looking for, as one writer was, a podcast with at least one woman's voice. This one has at least one. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and Amy is great and a friend. Yes. And I, I definitely recommend checking that out. Yeah. It's her and Paul Shear. They're, they're going through like the AFI Top 100, a movie at a time. And sort of going, does this belong? You know, it's somewhat canon-esque. It's like, does this belong in the canon? Do we understand why this movie is beloved? What does it mean now? They do some fun stuff. Like once, sometimes they'll have people like call in and leave voicemails and say like, what do you think uh, Ben-Hur is about? And people will be like, I think it's about Jesus. Or it's like, I know it has a, a, a chariot race. And that's <laughs> literally all I know. So it's, it's fun. It's a smart conversation and also – uh, it's, it's, it's some fun stuff in there as well. And yeah. They're, they're both good. So yeah, that would be a good one, uh, to check out. Any others? any others? Well, I mean, I do love film spotting. Of course, I was a listener before we were ever affiliated with film spotting and I love the next picture show also. That actually, I mean, I, I, sometimes I don't listen because they sometimes talk about movies I haven't seen yet. That's the one, uh, issue there. But the next picture show is fantastic. If you don't listen to the next picture show, um, I would absolutely recommend that all my uh, old buddies from the Dissolve, uh, Keith Phipps, Scott Tobias, Tasha Robinson, Jennifer Kosky, they do a great job where they pair. If you haven't listened, it's like each week they do two episodes where it's an old movie that connects to a new movie that's in theaters and they talk about each separately and then talk about them together. And um, it's always really, really good. I mean, I still listen to the Slash Filmcast. Uh, I enjoy that. If you want, you know, something that's about specifically about new movies, they talk about the new big movies, and they have a lot of guests. That's a good show. Um, I think those are really those are right now. I mean, I I because of the kids. The same reason I I can't do a podcast is the same reason I can't listen to too many podcasts. Sure, but those are the ones that I I listen to. Yes. Uh. Blank Check podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been on twice, so I don't know that the other one has, never has been in, uh, just, gone up never yet. Been oh, Matt. I'm sure you will. But, uh, you know, two great great guys co-hosting that. Uh, and if I listened to a movie podcast, I'm sure I would enjoy <laughs> listening to that, that one. That is, I'm sure, the endorsement that they want. Wait, I'm looking to wants. see if I'm looking at my – you know what? I also enjoy – well, the Flophouse. 
Sure. The Flop House is a wonderful podcast about bad movies. How could I forget The Flop House? Uh, that's a really fun show if you like listening to people make fun of bad movies. Uh, you know what else I like to listen to when it's something that I need to hear more discussion about is uh, like Slate's spoiler specials sure. are very good. But, you know, it has to – again, it has to be about the movie you want to hear about. But like after I saw Hereditary, I wanted to hear a really in-depth discussion about that. Slate spoiler specials had had one on that, and that was really good. So there's an and and that one I think I mean it's Dana Stevens is one of almost always on there. Uh, but that episode in particular had three women discussing it. So mm. there you go. If you're looking for uh, uh, women's voices, that's another good place to look. All right, should we do the next yeah. section? Okay, these are questions that uh, Allison arranged these. So I'm reading what <laughs> she wrote here. She wrote these are do we secretly hate each other questions. <laughs> And these came from, uh, including others, we got uh, emails here from Mike and Camille. Uh, favorite disagreement has been over the years, whether about a film or any topic, or what do you hate about each other the most? <laughs> I mean, seriously, in a frenemy way, movie-wise, podcast-wise, or otherwise, what one podcast thing, habit, tick about each other have you grown to love and will fondly miss? And what about each other? Will you lovingly thank the film gods you will not have to endure again? <laughs> All right, let's take that bit by bit. Well, I, I do want to point out before. Yeah. I mean, Matt and I see each other all the time. It yeah. is a tiny New York City film world. Yeah. Uh, we have also a whole secret slack. <laughs> yeah. So we're in constant communication. Yeah, it's not like, it's yeah. not like we are never going to endure each other's company again. Yes. Um, the, you know, the disagreement thing. Let's take it bit by bit. Disagreements. Yes. I will be honest and say I almost feel like our podcast would be more popular if we, if disagreed, we disagreed more. more because I, we're, I, yeah. we have very similar tastes. And even when we don't, we tend to be very amicable. Sure. Yeah. Neither of us, I think, runs hot enough to really right. either way to – we should be fighting more. Yes. And you yes. hear about, you know, obviously Siskel and Ebert. But like sort of the all the great – like the people that people like to listen to talk about movies tend to be angrier yes. about it. And so I don't – I can't think of – we've had times where we've, we've had different opinions. Yeah, but I don't uh, think we've ever had a bitter fight. Yeah, there anything. isn't like, – like film spotting, of course, has some famous ones like yeah. the lake house where they like got into a shouting match <laughs> over the freaking lake house. I don't think we've ever had that. No. Maybe to our detriment. Um, Matt lives very inconveniently far away from mm. me. That's been a big one. Yes. We like live on opposite sides of Brooklyn. Yes, it's astounding we can live in the same borough but live like literally an hour yes. away from each totally other. Far. It's very annoying. Matt is a lot fonder of the read of like, this is a movie about movie making. Love that. You love that. Yeah. I always find that unless it's you, like, you hate it. You extreme. think it's insufferable. I do. <laughs> I love, you, well, every once in a while, it's okay. But for the most part, I'm right. like, ah. You've never watched a movie at three in the afternoon on TNT you haven't liked. <laughs> I feel like that might cloud your judgment a little bit. Yep. The TNT bias. Oh, I love it. You love a TNT. Uh, but yeah. other, but again, like this is like, this, like, is, this is what we this don't like very, about Yeah, each this other. is very mild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what thing will we, have we grown to love? Is there anything we've grown to love? I do. I mean, obviously, I really enjoy talking movies with Matt. Right. We've done this we've, for years and years. Yes. So we've been doing, like, if you conclude the original podcast, this is, 10 years, like well over 10 years. Yes. It's a dozen years it's definitely, now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really long time. Yes. Uh, so obviously we enjoy having these conversations. Yes. Uh, that should be a testament. Yeah. I don't think there's, and I get, yeah, things we don't have to endure again. It's really, yeah. We, yeah. we it, would, it would probably, again, it would probably be better if we had like, the, we just yeah. sat here like, like a really embittered. Yeah. Like, we're not, yeah. it's not even, yeah. We're not stopping the podcast because we don't like each yeah. other. Sorry guys. Sorry. All right, on to the next one. I'm we just gotta... kidding. I hate her so much. <laughs> She's threatening me with a knife right now. I have to pretend to be. 
Okay, go ahead. Next. My arm is so tired already. <laughs> uh, all right, next. All right. We next got a questions. bunch of questions about film criticism, either doing the job of being a film critic or how to be a film critic. Okay. Uh, so I will group a few of these together. We got from Timothy and Eric and Chris asked various uh, questions about advice on being a film critic, what we would tell anyone who wants to make specifically make a living in media, which is gets to the point of this. Yeah. Uh, and someone who asks about specifically trying to enter the freelance film writing business. Hmm. Um, any advice, Matt? Well, I would say first and foremost is to not sort of uh, like, I mean, we could be like, well, don't do it. But I don't think that's very constructive. Mm-mm. Might be more realistic, but it's not mm-hmm. constructive. My constructive advice would be don't plan on being A.O. Scott. Not uh, be, Plan on being someone who does a lot of things, yeah. who writes criticism, but also writes uh, lists, writes features, writes uh, essays, does interviews, does news, does video content, can edit, can be a jack of all trades. Because your best bet, I would think, in this environment is getting your foot in the door somewhere where you can do some, something in that or a bunch of those somethings and worm your way in yeah. like, 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 like a fungus, <laughs> just sort of like glom on and start insinuating. I mean – We've both been very lucky in our careers, but we've also had times where we've had to do not film criticism things. And like I know for myself, like when I was at The Dissolve, my title was the news editor and I did that every day, like nine to six or whatever it was. But any chance I had to do other stuff, if I could write a review, if I could write a feat, whatever, I volunteered. I pitched and pitched even though I was on the staff there. So that would be my advice is to don't think in your head, I'm going to be A.O. Scott. Maybe someday you will, but you ain't going to start that way. Yeah. So you got to work your way up and you got to be willing to do lots of different things. Yeah. I feel like uh, oftentimes like writing reviews or writing criticism is the last thing people ask you to do. Everything else comes first. Yes. I would also say it's really good not to assume that you're ever going to have it be your primary source of income. Mm. I think that if it can be your primary source of income. Have a backup plan. Yes. But like it is, I think in some ways, especially if if you're freelancing, the ideal situation is you have at least a part-time job, uh, a regular source of income that will cover your basic living expenses. Right. So because it it is uh, freelancing, is you get paid very regularly. Sometimes you have to like different outlets play different times and pay different amounts. Sometimes you have to chase that money. Sometimes you have yep. to really chase that money. Yep. It is really helpful to have a regular bit of income coming in uh, that that won't have you worried about whether you can pay rent. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a, that's very good advice. And the other thing I would say is get a sugar mama and or sugar daddy mm. because you won't have to worry about that stuff. And you sure. could just focus on writing 8,000 word pieces about uh, there you go. the Lonely Island. Um, just the, the answer, as is always the case for these things, is find someone to support you. Exactly. Also, get on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. We have another related question here okay. from Jacob. You want to read it? Yes. Jacob writes, as an aspiring writer, I'd love to know what the most challenging piece you've ever written was and how you managed to overcome it. Do you have a most challenging piece that like comes to every mind? Every piece I'm working on, every new piece I'm working on feels like the most challenging piece. Yeah. I feel like I, uh, my process is extremely tortured, especially now that I'm writing more longer form stuff. Mm-hmm. It usually involves me agonizing over a lead for like three or four days yeah. and then 
all of the rest comes after that, but it's uh, it's a terrible process, and I don't recommend it. Yes, I, I have the same problem where it's like once I have like the first like two hundred words, the rest of it just bleh. yep. But I I sweat that first two hundred words so, oh, so so hard. Yeah, so that's I mean to me like the most challenging pieces. Like if I've written them, I don't think they like. Yeah, once they're written. I have like a hundred pieces in my head and books and things that I've never written. Those are the challenging ones. Is the ones that are still sitting in there that I haven't been able to to work out. Um, I would say, uh, I would also say like, don't let yourself feel that challenged, obviously take it seriously, but like, don't get in your head about it. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. The more you like, Oh, I don't know if I could do it. Then you're never going to do it. Yep. Just do it. All right. That's a great, just do it. I should start an athletic company. I think there's probably a lot of money in this. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. write, hold on. I'm going to write this down. Just do it. <laughs> Foley. That's nice. Little Foley was nice. on the last episode. Nice work there. All right. All what's right, the next got, question? Uh, t- both Patrick and Nathaniel asks kind of variations on the topic of like, how do you keep doing this while staying fresh, uh, while not getting overwhelmed, while not feel while feeling like you still see give a film or a TV show your all. Mm. Do you have a, any thoughts on that? Well, I will say uh, it's fun to have things to watch that you like deliberately don't ever want to write. Or think about like whether that's a television show, whether that's a, a movie, whether that's sports, whether that's like any just that something else that when you don't want to be an active, thoughtful person uh, that you can turn on and and uh, and not have to worry about. The other thing is now with two children and everything else going on, like anytime I get to like sit down and watch a movie, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It's a real uh, yeah. Having two tiny children is a does a wonder for thinking. Like oh, I have to watch another Uva Bowl movie now. I'm like, God, I love Uva Bowl. <laughs> He's so wonderful. So yeah, that, I guess have have some kids. And suddenly you won't need uh, meditation techniques or palate cleansers. Sure. Uh, I was sitting in a screening room the other day listening to a longtime critic uh, complain. Someone I, I won't name, but his name... I'm sitting right here. Yeah. His name rhymes with Shrek's Shreed. <laughs> uh, was just talking about how he doesn't like anything anymore. He has to watch all of this garbage. He hasn't liked anything for ages. Like films aren't back like they aren't good like they were in Billy Wilder's day. Right. And of course. Certainly aren't. They have changed a lot since then, but I do worry all of the time about ending up like like Shrek Shreed, uh, where I just don't derive pleasure from this anymore. And for me, I think part of what's helped is to go see repertory stuff, which was like a big deal for me to kind of go see things that were entirely for pleasure, especially in theaters, to really mm. go out and kind of remind myself that like this is a privilege and yes. a bl- bliss to be able to go yes. and see things, you know, for fun. So yeah, I guess we're kind of similar in that way. Like it is good to watch things that you don't ever plan to write right. about. Uh, I mean, also if you, I mean, you mentioned it's a privilege. Like if you don't like watching a lot of movies, this you, is a terrible way to make right, money. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a terrible way to make money, even if you love movies, yeah. but it's a, but it's especially, especially it's bad. Not right. Anymore. Like, I mean, if I could just do nothing but watch movies all day, I would be the happiest man alive. Like this, that's literally why I pursued this as a career <laughs> is because I love watching movies and, and TV shows and stuff. So yeah. All right. All right. You want me to read this next one? Uh, sure. We've got a few questions uh, about the business of podcasting. Well, maybe I can do this since I copy and paste this and it's a whole bunch of okay, different Okay. Go things. for it. Uh, we got questions from Patrick and Paul. 
Paul and another Paul and a third Paul. I'll, I don't know. Paul's, maybe it was like as a group are yeah, more interested in the business, the business of podcasting. Podcast than I, or maybe it was like the same Paul sending multiple letters of this, but yeah. basically asked about the realities of being a podcaster, the nitty gritty. How much time did it take? Does it take to put an episode together? How do we record things? Do we do notes? Do we improvise? How many subscribers? How much money do we make on each of these things? Uh, which hundreds actually, of thousands of dollars. I'm happy to talk about someone actually. It's funny. Someone asked um, if we ever thought about hooking up with a larger network like Panoply. <laughs> we, we've been we, on Panoply for, yeah, for a, a while. little while now. Yeah. Um, someone asked if we want if we ever wanted to do Patreon. Uh, yeah. So okay, let's talk about this. Okay. What do you want to do? Which aspect first? Well, let's, I mean, our process is like what we're doing. I now. like to get in a sauna and <laughs> meditate for a good eight to 12 hours. That's part of the reason we have to stop. It's just, I don't have the eight, I don't have enough time. I know. In the it sauna. was really, and you were just doing horrible And then I realized, health. and yeah. I realized the podcasting was cutting into the sauna time. And I was like, why am I even podcasting when I, I could just do the sauna? Is, I'm sure. I um, said, could we do it in the sauna? But then it's really terrible for the equipment. Yeah. Yeah. We tried it. Oh. That's why some of those episodes sounded a little bad. Yeah, it was because we know, did it in the sauna. In the sauna, which yeah. is, it turns out is not the best situation the best. for podcasting. I mean, process is we, I mean, we do have notes. We do, we usually write the, in, you know, all the intros were written. Um, most of them by Allison lately because I don't have, literally don't have the time. <laughs> Uh, you know, we would, we would take notes. It depends on, I mean, I, I've varied. I don't know about you, Allison, cause literally we're sitting here and I can't see your computer, but like, I'd have times where I would write my, like, like cue shots. I would write exactly what I want to say. Other times I would write bullet points yeah. and I would kind of riff a little bit. It would depend on the movie, depend on my mood, depend on how much time I had to prepare all those sorts of things. We generally didn't like this, like we wouldn't really discuss our opinions about things in advance. Right. Sometimes we would always go over like what we were recommending because we didn't want to uh, double up. Double up. Um, any other process things? I mean, in terms of the listener's choice, we would always come. We would each come with a bunch of options. Yeah. Sometimes it was very easy to decide. Sometimes it was incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The longest out. amount of time we would spend in a, in a time sitting <laughs> here other than out. recording yeah. would be. What are the three things we're going to pick? I, I think that I mean, every podcast, even the ones that just sound like people just talking like bar talk you know require more preparation than i think you would guess yeah and i we certainly did more prep than i think i mean the the format of the podcast sometimes required us to watch would always require us to watch at least one new movie yep. or tv show yep. but usually required maybe like ideally because we use this to watch things we hadn't seen before three three you know or more yeah and uh that could get really time consuming yeah um in terms and then you have to write all the other stuff yes write uh, the recommendation segment right there's a it was there's a lot of prep it, it was a lot um in terms of the finances uh we never talked about patreon i think the, the tricky thing with patreon is that both you have to kind of keep cajoling people to join patreon but also that you have to do extra i mean the most successful patreons people do extra content and we could barely we could barely scr <laughs> scrounge this together content. yeah i mean i think in the future if we ever do something again or like it's definitely something i would be willing to try or kickstarter sure. there's a lot all those things like i would totally be up for doing it but like you said it's almost like you need more effort and more time to put in because you've got to do rewards and extra content and this and that and the other and it's like it's yeah, it's extra work and we need less we need less work. Yeah. We don't have an exact subscriber number. We are, I would say, probably like a small to mid size podcast. Like we had several thousands of listeners at least, but like 
we never have an exact number. And it obviously varies hugely depending on what the episodes are. Right. Um, we, in terms of like our funding, like when we started this, we had a, a regular, uh, sponsor right movies on demand yes for a that, long time yes and they we paid that us segment. a yearly thing and we yes. did that regular segment and we then, weren't making a lot of money no but we then, were making right. enough money to make it worth our while right and when we joined panoply we would get ads which would be sometimes a few hundred dollars a month but certainly whenever you do the math like which i did once like even in the days we were made like the year i think we made the most out of this right when i would divide the amount like we made by how many hours we put into the podcast, it was like less than minimum wage, right? Which is one of the reasons that it has right. We weren't, we were never doing it for the money. Yeah, we were doing it because we enjoy doing it, and and doing the money made the money we made was we allowed you to justify the amount of time you were spending. Yes, and but then when you know you lose sponsors and you don't get as many ads and you've got two kids and it's sure. like at a certain point it's like that's where it all comes down. Did we answer everything in I this think one? So. I will say one more thing, which is that I think in general also we noticed a big loss of ads at the start of the year and that was true for a lot of people I talked to and it does feel a bit like there's a bubble that burst or that things are just kind of changing a bit mm-hmm. in terms of all of the the regular sponsors that you tend to hear you know on every ones. podcast yes, yeah if you listen everyone. to podcasts yeah um, yeah they're mixing it up uh, I'm looking back at this question or the group of questions oh in terms of editing uh, there's some, I mean, we, I, 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 I edited all the shows and back in the day when I didn't have children, I would spend hours and hours editing. I would edit every little, um, every little like as best I could. And then I stopped doing that because I just couldn't, I just couldn't. Um, but yeah, basically the editing at this point is when we screw up or some, you know, you never hear it because I cut them out. We, you know, I keep a running list of all the edits I need to do as we're recording and then afterwards, as I'm assembling the show, I just trim out the uh, the problems. Yeah. All right. Uh, related to this, we had a question from Joel, who uh, he said, I have a podcast called Kinder Traum- Traumentary, where I talk to people about what scenes from movies and TV scared them as children, and who asked us uh, about what scared us. I'm not going to answer that, Joel, because I'm going to direct you to a related question from Christopher, who asked where you could find our old podcast, the IFC News Podcast. Uh, the IFC News Podcast, if you do a search for IFC News Podcast Archive, you will find... It can't ex- possibly be up. It's still up. I what? found it. Uh, it's an extremely old page. Oh, um, wow. I'm looking at it. Some of the links don't work, oh. but most of them still point to MP3s. Wow. So it's an incredibly inconvenient way to listen to the podcast. But if you want to... And I, who knows what we said on there? This I got to like download this before they ago. take this down. Yeah, but it is still up there right now. I'm sorry we don't have an RSS feed or anything that kind of like can you can use in your podcatcher. But Joel, to answer your question, check out the episode, the 2009 episode, traumatic children's movies, in which we talk about this very thing. I have no idea what I talked about, but we did cover it. Okay, let's right. uh, do the next question. Hmm. Uh, do you want to take this one? Sure. Uh, from what? I lost my asked... place. Sorry. No, it's no we'll leave. We'll leave this in. This is good. We yeah. won't edit this out. Uh, I lost my place. Go ahead. There's some process stuff here. Yeah. Uh, ask what our favorite intro bit for episodes has been. Uh, there have been some good ones. I personally enjoyed the one where you contemplated cannibalism. I literally remember none of that. I, the only one I really remember is the one where you, 
you replaced me with like a vote robot voice <laughs> and it was like critic 2000 critic bot 2000 or something like yeah, that. that okay that one was pretty good yeah that was a good one yeah we, I, I we i don't know how we i don't even remember how we started doing the thing where we would make up a fake I don't topic know either, but it just kind of evolved organic you know? yeah. very organic and one more in this section you want to read that Chris asks, will the film spotting SVU Twitter feed still be active? I always enjoyed it showing new streaming titles that are available. Nope. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> I, I just follow us on yeah, Twitter. It was, us on we, Twitter. There was no social media person. It was us. Yes. Mostly so. Allison and occasionally <laughs> me. So just follow us at Allison Wilmore at Matt Singer and... I'm sure we will be still be recommending stuff. Maybe yes. not as frequently, yes. but but yeah, uh, I think we're gonna let the that feed go dormant. Sadly, okay. R.I.P. All right, let's move on to some future of streaming media questions. Oh, Got boy. a few very big ones. Okay, um, why don't you read this or from summarize Paul? this first one from Paul? Okay. Paul writes: In the old days, way before even my time, the studios had their own actors, directors, and theaters. And no way would a Paramount theater ever show an MGM movie. Then something happened. And theaters could show any movie they wanted to. I don't know what made that happen, but I'm glad it did. There was a lawsuit. There was a monopoly Mm. uh, lawsuit, antitrust lawsuit. Uh, Right now, we've got something kind of like the studio system. Netflix and Amazon Prime, Hulu. I've got Mubi. My wife has some British service. I forget the name. I'm going to guess Acorn. Waiting in the wings are YouTube and even Apple. What can break this up so I don't need five subscriptions and I can just watch anything? gonna say nothing yeah i don't think anything because all of right now all of these services are based on uh their own proprietary content which uh you know is the reason it's the big pull for someone subscribing uh you know everyone wants the spotify of movies but no one service is going to try and er own that one because like offering library content is not as valuable to people as offering their own content but also because incidentally most movies are not available digitally at all. Right. You know, it's something that we're always reminded when we have prepared for this podcast, which is that it's only a really select portion of things that are available for streaming at any time and that are available for rental or purchase. I mean, in some ways, I feel like in 2018, there are more services, but less things available than there were when we started this. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's the same number, but as as Paul is writing here, it's so diffuse. And I agree. I don't think it's going to get less diffuse anytime soon. The trend is more diffuse. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to Disney's, Disney, right. which and, is a huge Right. One. Within the next year or two, Disney is going to launch their own service, and that's going to have all the Disney movies and, and Star Wars and Marvel. Like, that's going to be a huge one. And it's not like Disney is going to be like, okay, Netflix, here you go. Here's uh, some, right. some Marvel movies. Exclusivity is the point. Yes. And, and they're, like, I feel like that's just the way of the world. And, you know, there's uh, DC, the comic book company, just announced they're launching a service that has their uh, movies and cartoons and TV shows. And they're making a new original series and also comic books, which is a great idea if you're for a comic book fan. But it's like, who would have even conceived of this I mean, when we started this podcast, I would not have expected uh, things to go down this road. And so I feel like anybody who has content to stream, that is the that's the way to do it. Because the other thing is these streaming services, you just it's a brilliant business model because you just sell it to people in perpetuity. You don't buy it once. You don't buy right. you don't buy a copy of Glow and then you can watch it forever and ever. You pay for you access pay, to it. You pay for access to it every single month. And so now you have to keep feeding that audience with new content, but it always lives there. So when you to when you attract new people, there's there's fresh things up there. So if you're like the I, 
Sorry, Paul. Yeah, what you want is not going to happen yeah. anytime soon. Uh, and then we get some other questions from Adam and Taylor, who both kind of asked about, you know, what streaming services we might deem essential or also what our favorite niche service is. Uh, do you have a favorite, Matt? I mean, if it counts as a, a niche service, I would say Filmstruck would be my favorite just because if I – like you were saying, like what do we – what? how do we stay fresh? If I didn't have to do work-related viewing most nights, that's what I would be watching is stuff on – I'd be watching Criterion movies. I'd be watching the old Hollywood stuff they added, especially since they've started adding more of the Warner stuff. I feel like – maybe that's not niche enough, but that would be my pick. Well, certainly, it's a smaller one. I mean, I have Netflix. I pay for Netflix and Hulu and Amazon always. I yep. kind of shuffle between subscribing sometimes I do and subscribing for a lot of other ones. Yeah. Uh, because of my work, I get access to HBO and Showtime Originals via their kind of press site. Not their movie library, but like to their originals. Right. Uh, I would say Shudder. Shudder is like a really, really well-curated uh, site for something I really enjoy, which is horror mm-hmm. and kind of horror adjacent things. And it's just, I, it's such a good selection. Mm-hmm. Like it's just run by people whose tastes really align with mine. Yeah. It's a good site. Um, so yeah. But yeah, those would be my, an- my answers for that. All right. Next question. More set of questions. Okay. I guess. Go ahead. Um, so we have a few people who are just asking basically is streaming good or bad for us? Uh, Brian asked, uh, how if it, if it uh, basically if streaming availability what it does uh, to our consumption of media and TV if it kind of changes what we opt for um, as opposed to having physical media uh, Hayden wants to know if the kind of small selection of movies kind of changes or an algorithms that feed you what they think you'll like uh, kind of changes the palettes of of people who are watching. That's and, a really good yeah, question. Yeah, and Aaron wants to know if uh, if streaming is both going to kind of like keep pulling us away from the big screen, uh, but also kind of, I think for everyone, the, the big question is also like, is there a downside to convenience? These are all really good questions. First of all, thank you to everyone who's – all the questions in general, not just this section, but these are some really interesting ones. Um, the one about algorithms is the one uh, – Hayden's question is one that I'm really thinking about. It's like what does it – like because I we're old enough now. We're incredibly old that like m- for me, a lot of, of learning about movies was about going to the video, like, the video store yeah. and wandering the video store. Now, granted, my wandering in the video store was probably dominated in some ways by my taste. I spent more time wandering the sci-fi section than I did the foreign film section, perhaps. Um, but I would walk over the whole store three times before I picked anything. Um, and with an algorithm, you you to some extent have control over it. Because it's fed by the things that you watch and the things that you like, but it's also giving you what it thinks you want. And it's, uh, I guess it's maybe not making it harder to find weird things or random things, but it's certainly not making it easier. It's not like putting them in front of you. And if you're the type of person that doesn't really explore, and that's the other thing about these, these streaming sites, even the good ones, it is so hard to find what you want to watch. I, I don't know that we've talked about that enough. Like even a site like Amazon, which I use, which has a very good selection in some ways, in some cases, 
you can't find anything on Amazon. Yeah, their their uh, kind of uh, user experience is not great. Like I, I, and in some ways, on some of these sites, I almost feel like it's deliberately made poorly to keep you from searching and realizing they don't have all the things that you want. And by trying to get you to go, oh, they have Ladybird. I didn't see Ladybird. I'm going to watch that. Like just hoping that they'll grab you right away with a couple of flashy titles and 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 keep... they don't have a lot of depth to their library exactly yeah i i get into and I, obviously i work at a workplace that skews very young but i do get into fights with people sometimes about this kind of the way in which we've allowed streaming to tell us that basically the movies that are available for streaming and the TV shows that are available for streaming are the ones that exist. Right. You know, and that the ones that exist in collective memory in some way. And I think that that is actually really bad. I had this weird back and forth with, um, it was an editor of some magazine who, because they had run a story that was like, had, had started with being like, you may not have heard of SCTV because it's been trapped for decades on bootlegs on YouTube. And I was like, it's also available in beautiful DVD collections yes, from Shout Factory. Is available on and it's DVD so right weird now to act like print. streaming hasn't even really been available. Like, I mean, YouTube has been around since I think like 2005. But the idea that streaming streaming has only been dominant for like less than a decade, right? And somehow we've kind of like rewritten memory to be like, if it's not available on streaming. You've never heard of it. Right. And certainly I know a lot of people who no longer have a way to play a DVD in their apartment. Uh, but I think that I, I, I don't accept that people keep making it so that or I don't accept people treating it like it's impossible to physical media is inaccessible now. I mean, one of the things that's kind of not talked about that much and we never talk about it on our podcast because of what our podcast is about is this is kind of like a golden age for physical media, like because the studios are giving the rights to these things to these little companies that are just producing tons of cool Blu-rays, sometimes with new special features, cool special features. So like there's all these little companies like Kino and Twilight Time and Shout Factory that are still putting stuff out. But it's like it does – to a lot of people, it's like it doesn't even exist. So my advice would be – I mean obviously we love streaming. That's what we've been talking about for right. six years. But I mean you can get a cheap Blu-ray player for, for 50 so bucks. I know. For so little money. So it might be worth investing in that. And again, you pay 50 bucks or whatever it is and you pay – I mean the other thing is Blu-rays, good Blu-rays – are so cheap and if you're going to rent a movie on one of these sites a lot of times if you pay three extra dollars or less you can get a blu-ray which comes with a digital copy you can watch forever so i would say don't uh, don't just look at streaming sure and i think that now that we're giving up the show <laughs> we can say this well i think that also uh one last thing to this question i will say that one of the things for me that was like a benefit of the netflix the, the sense of like the netflix monopoly getting broken up mm -hmm. as like more streaming services come in and different ones invest and have different priorities and what they invest in is that i think we can start to kind of let go of the idea that i think is like an underlying assumption for a lot of people that like basically whatever this one corporation has chosen at any one time like that's what you watch you know like that's what's available to you and like it may be way less convenient to have to maintain multiple different subscriptions but i think it's a really good reminder that like all of these things are just one corporation's like swath of licensed movies at any one time yeah yeah 
All right. Uh, we have two kid-centric questions we got, one from Caleb and one from Brandon. Uh, Caleb basically asked for uh, – Caleb says that he and his wife have a 10-month-old daughter and wants advice for any titles to show her once she starts being able to follow narratives. And Brandon wanted to know, uh, Matt, what movie you are most excited to think about showing your kids for the first time? And for me, what movie am I excited to show Matt's kids on the sly? I've already shown them horrible things. I have a hard time imagining you doing like doing a a, be- a poorer job of parenting do, my children I will than say, I do. Like I have no sense of like what's appropriate for age. you know like I just don't know what's right. like, age appropriate. Right. Like not that I would be like let's all sit down and watch a movie I remember seeing like probably too young, The Piano. I would not be like Matt. Let's show your children the piano. But I don't really know what I mean, like a good kids movie. Is Riley like does age. like music a lot. She likes pianos. Maybe you have a point. Um, okay, so Caleb's question was about any advice for titles to show her that won't dro- drive my wife and I crazy when she starts being able to follow narratives. I, 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 I almost feel like I'm not the right person to ask just because my daughter is like weird in the sense that she has an, an incredible attention span. Like I see her – I see other children her age who can't sit still for like a 22-minute cartoon show and she will sit and watch – um, movies. I think the first feature movie I showed her was like the the 60s Batman movie and she w- sat and watched the whole thing because she was interested in Batman when she was around 10 months old was when she suddenly got obsessed with Batman. And we showed it to her and she watched the whole thing sitting next to me. I was like astonished. I thought we'd watch 20 minutes. She watched the whole thing. And then we showed her the Lego Batman movie, which is definitely inappropriate for her, but she loved it. <laughs> and she watched it over and over again. Um... She's watched since she loved Cinderella. We've watched that a bunch of times. Uh, we just showed. Now she's older. Now she's two and a half. Um, I'm trying to look at my pile of movies here. I mean, you really can't go wrong with the uh, the Disney the Disney stuff. Most of them, you know, what movie is uh, that we've watched a bunch? That's a Disney movie that um, doesn't. I don't get sick of. And we've watched a few things, uh, other children's movies that are pretty. Insufferable. Moana is a movie that she likes a lot. Moana, she likes yeah. Moana a lot. And it's a movie that I've watched a bunch of times. And I mean, the Lego Batman movie, she shouldn't be watching. <laughs> but I like that's another movie that like every time I watch it, I'm like, there's I find new jokes. And I mean, it's really more for older people, too. But um, yeah, I would I guess my I, I maybe it's just uh, me projecting. But I feel like if you're really excited about it and passionate about it, that's something that kids pick up on. So if you even fake a lot of excitement about something. They're going to at least want to try it. Um, well, the next question was, what am I excited to show uh, my kids? I haven't shown them anything like, I mean, we're still really mostly in the cartoons and kids stuff. You know, like she hasn't watched any of the Star Wars movies yet. I'm mm-hmm. kind of wondering because she is pretty mature. Like maybe, maybe a Star Wars. I already showed her. I mean, she loved the recent Spider-Man movie, Riley, my older guess, Spider-Man Homecoming. Which weirdly is a very good kids movie. There's like no guns. There's no shooting really. It's not very violent. It's mostly like Spider-Man as this teenager having fun. Sure. So she loved that. Like there's the scene where he's like running around helping people like directing the old lady and the guy like says, hey, Spider-Man, do a flip. She loves that scene. <laughs> Great scene. Um, so I've already shown her Spider-Man, which I'm a big fan of. Um Citizen Kane, definitely looking forward to showing, sure, forcing sure. her to sit Probably to that. next year. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think, like, I've been thinking about, like, the Star Wars. Uh, yes. 
Uh, I've been thinking about Star Wars. I, I think she's too young. I have a friend who showed his daughter Star Wars, I think younger than Riley is, and she she's now into Star Wars. She likes it. So, like, that's one th- thing is, like, you can kind of incept them, plant them, plant it young. Sure. And, Mold and, their fragile minds. Yeah, exactly. But I uh, haven't done that yet. That's something I'm – that's probably the number one, even though I'm not a huge – like obsessive Star Wars fan, I you know I, I feel like that might be something she would be because into. maybe they're children's movies that adults have gotten overly invested in. Uh, to Allison, their own the harm. Star Wars franchise has been co-opted <laughs> by corporate influence. <laughs> it used to be a film about Arthurian myth. <laughs> All right. right. We got a bunch of questions about the Spoovies. Many yes. people express their love of the Spoovies. Oh, people love the Spoovies. Yeah. Um, I will, let's start with Tyson and Peter both, both asked basically, uh, is there any chance that once a year you can do a Spoovies episode? Um, I don't think we can make promises about the future yet because we don't know right. where we'll be at the end of the year, but we will keep the request in mind. Maybe that's something we could do some kind of like a Patreon or Kickstarter thing. Can you do sure. like a one off for that? <laughs> we'll do a Kickstarter to just to do Spoovies. one episode. Sure. Um, and then we got a few variations on just wanting to hear Cliff asked, uh, basically a lot of people really like the, they didn't get it and we didn't get it awards. Yes. Uh, so Cliff asks in 11 years of new releases since you started podcasting, what movie has most improved in your view, whether you consider it from another Mm. critical angle, whether you changed, you know, yeah. I probably should have uh, more carefully read these questions and prepared. Sure, it's a tough question. I mean, I, I, I'll think about this more, but you can think and I'll go first and then I'll go back again. But I'm, I was going to say, like, Popstar is a movie, like I said. Like, when I saw it the first time, I thought, this is a funny movie. Uh, it, it, it did feel a little derivative, a little too derivative to me. And watching it this time, I was like, I should have been watching this movie more since it came out. This is a movie that should be in rotation. I should watch this movie at least once a year. Um, so there's one for you. Sure. I liked The Social Network when it came out, but I feel like now it I think it captures something really profound and dead on about digital culture that I feel like it's mm. even better at that than when it came out at the time. Uh, it just really has gotten to be a better and better movie for me. Um, I haven't rewatched that movie. I guess I need to. It's my favorite Fincher. I mean, I, I, I just not that long ago, I rewatched Boogie Nights. And I'm this movie I lo- I liked a lot as a kid, but watching it uh, recently again, I was like, this movie is amazing. Like, I don't know what it was that maybe it was just again I escaped from the children for a night, and so sure. any and it movie even and better through those but that's also glasses, that's a great movie. Yeah, I, it's just like that's a movie that, and I almost would have thought would have dated more because it was you know even though it is set in the 70s, it was so very 90s when it came out. The like the camera tricks and the the cast was this up and coming cast of hot indie. I, mean, I feel that way about Magnolia. I haven't come back to look at Magnolia yeah. again. So I maybe maybe if I see that movie again, I would like that movie even more too. It's not it's a movie that I didn't love when it came out. I well, I, I think more just like I think Magnolia feels like it's dated. Oh, to it's me. dated. Whereas I feel like Boogie Nights is timeless. Hold up to me. Yeah, it, it's it, been a long it, time it held up it. even better than I expected to. Where I was like, this like I couldn't even find a like it's a perfect movie to me now. Like where I watched, I was just like blown away. Um, maybe it's just because the Paul Thomas Anderson we have now is so different. I love sure. him. But I like his movies now are are so unlike this movie in terms of the flashiness that it was just exciting all over again to watch it. All right, Brennan asks, uh, "Do you have there been any nominees for the 2018? We didn't get it. They didn't get it. Movie mm, awards so far. Let me look at what's come out this year. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on my Letterboxed page here. Sure, Letterboxed. Sure. 
dot com slash super pulse. Yeah, I'm I, look think at that, what, I think what that I've watched. Matt didn't get Jurassic World uh, Fallen Kingdom. You got it. Yeah, I feel like you did not fully appreciate. Well, that would have been a nominee for the they they that the they didn't get it award because the uh, most people agree with me that movie is an abomination. Yes, and but you loved it. I'm saying it's so dumb and perfect, and it ends with this right. exhilarating gesture towards human extinction that I really enjoyed. Right, I've just really been in the mood for human extinction these days. Mm, <laughs> All right, I'm looking at what I've seen this year. Something that. Um, no, I think I mean right now. I don't see a lot of uh, nominees for the, the, the They Didn't it's, Get It it's Award. It's been a quieter start to the year, I would I mean, say. I've seen a lot of good movies, but I feel like everything I've seen for the most part has been pretty accurately yeah. rated on the whole. Yes. Like even something like uh, you know Paddington 2, where there was a lot of very effusive reviews, and I was very skeptical. And then I watched it, and I was it's like, really good. okay, this yeah. is really good. So I, I like that would be a contender, except I actually liked it. And I can't really find anything on here. Where I saw it and I loved it and it got terrible reviews. Yeah. I don't know that it's been a super divisive year so far. Yeah. All right. And then we have two from very, two on the same theme uh, from Peter and from Eric who basically ask, uh, what are some movies that have been critically panned or that most people think are terrible but that you maintain have value? Mm. Um, I mean, Oh, Peter brought that up because uh, he points out that I, I'm i the one person he knows of besides himself who considers Southland Tales not necessarily a terrible movie. Maybe it's not such a bad movie. After all, Peter, how dare you? Yeah, Southland Tales is a masterpiece. There's a lot. And there's a lot of <laughs> Southland Tales yeah. fans out there. I think I've talked about a bunch on this podcast. Uh, like Loser, the Amy Heckerling movie, I think is like actually very vastly underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, In the Cuts, I talked about, which is like very mixed. It got a really mixed reception that it's time but i think is like kind of getting reevaluated um but yeah i i I think there are not maybe this year but there are a lot of movies um especially in the past i i think like going back in the times i've been since i've been writing about movies professionally that there are some that i've loved Mm. that that really did not get well received i mean the one the one that i really I, i guess this would also be could be a uh now that i think about it a um uh, they didn't get an award contender would be um, the uh, the Nick Cage movie Mom and Dad that came out this year. Just because very few people saw it, it came and went very quietly. That was a really good movie. Uh, and again, maybe my my parental uh, life uh, predisposed me to like a movie about parents who go crazy and decide to murder their children. Uh, but uh, that, that movie resonated with me, Allison. <laughs> I can't um, imagine why. Um, I'm looking for some more here. I don't know. I, you know, I could be I could be very cliche and say something like Jim Cotta, but I I, I think I've I've flogged that pommel horse it's, to yes, death. It's brought, brought up a lot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, here's one. Here's one movie that uh, I love that I didn't. I felt like it felt like it didn't get its uh, due for recent years. Bridge of Spies, Steven Spielberg movie. Wait, didn't that? I feel like people loved Bridge of Spies. They liked it. They liked it. Okay, I yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I loved it. Okay, fair enough. I think I think it's that's one that uh, that's a, that's a grower. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that'll I be a grower. I think that's fair. Okay, all right. So now let's go into general film industry misc. Yes, <laughs> um, we got 
one to we're, we're almost done yeah here. we've got a few more this is yeah we got one from william whose brother elliot i want to point out also sent in a question but william asked uh let's call it he basically asked um the question of separating the art from the artist can you watch chinatown despite the polanski of it all uh hacksaw ridge and braveheart and bloodfather despite the mel gibson of it all uh william says personally i am able to separate it um and says i think people will likely miss out on a lot of good film they base their decisions to watch a movie on the actions of those working on the movie imagine if you decided to boycott every single movie the weinstein has produced it's a lot of great films to miss out on and he wanted to know our thoughts on the matter well it's a it's a very tricky issue and it's, I think it's, it's not easy to do in like, you know, while we're answering a hundred questions, like this could be, forget about an episode of a podcast. This could be like, this could be a podcast. Maybe this will be our next podcast. We we watch movies by awful people <laughs> and, and decide and whether they're, about, yeah, yeah, whether it's worth, I mean, it's, it's that complicated an issue to me. Cause I don't think it's as simple as we should throw, we should throw them down the memory hole and pretend they never existed. But I also, you know, I do sometimes not just about watching it is one thing, but like find it to me. It's like when you're starting to financially support that sure, person. That's the part is, that yeah. I really have. I get. I personally have some problems with. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, you know, the answer to this is also like it's entirely personal. Like yes. the things, and I will say, I think that's why I am a big fan of not being very glib about being like i can support i can watch the art and not care about the artist because i think frankly it's much easier for people to do that when you're not seeing yourself as like being victimized Mm -hmm. by this person which uh why i think i hear men being much more more likely to say uh oh i have no problem separating the art from the artist um you know uh i think that it's entirely up to you uh, and I think everyone's, yeah, like everyone's measure will vary, uh, depending on how much of a connection they have to the work and the person. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I think that like, there are two separate questions. One of which is watching something, right. by evaluating someone, it, thinking about and it, thinking about it as it exists out there. But the other right. is whether you feel comfortable directly financially supporting someone by buying a ticket to see their work in theaters, uh, buying a DVD and all of that. Right. And I think those are two separate questions. Uh, and again, still, it's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Was there another question there or should we move on to the next? Uh, well, we have one. Mark wants to know. Yes. Basically a question of like, why do we still measure box office success by like money amounts as opposed to ticket, like number of tickets sold? Uh, I think this is a very easy question to answer. It's because the studios want you want to report it by money because the money is always getting more because the ticket prices go up right. and inflation. And so they're able to say this is the new box office record, which is good for publicity and good for marketing. If they said, well, we sold a lot of tickets, but we never we didn't sell as much as uh, Gone with the Wind. That's not. You can't you can't sell a movie that way. <laughs> it's all like the amount it's like always biggest right, ever record breaking. Right, the reporting of these numbers is not for science or for object objectivity or for the historical record. It's for marketing purposes, and so it's better in that sense when you say this movie made three hundred million dollars in one weekend, as opposed to saying it sold X number of tickets, which is actually less than the last movie made, but that was before inflation and before the ticket prices went up and before three D and before IMAX. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, all that Matt, everything that Matt said, I second. Uh, we have a question from Jeremy. Uh, I feel like Liz's question is sort of related to this as well. Jeremy asks how we, as a movie-going public, can break free from the tiresome shackles of a remake-slash-sequel-driven studio system and says, like, look at how the blockbusters we get now look compared to the 80s or the 90s. It feels like Hollywood isn't trying anymore. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel for big, original, exciting new movies? Or is that just the headlights of an oncoming Transformer? <laughs> um, and Liz says, in general, like, where do you see the future of film and television? Uh, where it will, will it be for the good or ill? I mean, I would say that right now... I don't really see an end to the blockbuster trend of of depending on existing familiar intellectual property. Like it's it's so central to how we market things and frankly how people turn up to see movies now. You know, I I think part of the problem for like people don't turn out to see a lot of original movies, uh things based on original properties, so it's our fault. <laughs> right. You know, like Hollywood is certainly makes a lot of very conservative choices when it comes to what they attempt to do. Uh, but right now we've been giving them solid messaging that we don't want new things. Right. We want the familiar. Yes. Yes. I, I was going to say, uh, vote with your dollars. The other thing I would say in this regard is that it's, it's astonishing to me how often someone, when they find out what I do or a friend wants to talk about movies or something and they say, Oh, well, all the movies are bad these days. And I'll say, well, did you see X? Oh, no, I didn't see that. Oh, did you see this? Oh, no, I didn't see that. Oh, did you see this? Oh, no, I didn't see that. Or you'll say, well, did you see this? An older movie. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I bootlegged it or I watched it on – I don't even know what the way to – I'm so out of touch that I don't know the, the Napster of uh, current streaming you know, uh, uh, torrenting. But it's like – and then they, they tell me, oh, I, yeah, I did, that, I did it that way. And it's like if you – if that's – how you want to see things fine but nothing is ever going to improve if you don't support the things that you're interested in with your dollars i'm not saying that you have to love all these movies sometimes you might not like uh, one of these uh, smaller titles that i'm talking about uh, in, in the abstract but you've at least voted with for it you voted for people making interesting smaller edgy movies yeah and when you don't even go to see those movies Again, like what Allison's saying, like people complain about uh, these big blockbusters and then they make two billion dollars. It's like people are complaining and the studios are going, uh, OK, but you keep, you, you know, you keep turning out, you keep us. turning out. Sure. Right. So like, you know, even even like a um, like a solo, a movie that seems like very few people liked made, you know, six hundred million dollars. So. That's a lot of people who who showed up even – and that's like the low end of a Star Wars movie. That's like as low as humanly possible. Sure. So you compare that with some of these fabulous movies that barely make uh, 10% of that and it makes more sense. Yeah. And I think on the TV front, I don't know. Like just trying to keep up with even just Netflix's original output. It's impossible. It is impossible. And it's original movies, which are a really weird selection, but Ugh. we've talked about before. Yes. But it does often feel like – it's this kind of indiscriminate fire hose of content and there's some really good stuff in there and there's a lot of garbage and it feels like it comes and goes so quickly that sometimes it's just really hard for anything to break through. And as people who cover this, I think we run into this a lot of just being like, it's hard to even know sometimes where to begin yes. in terms of what you choose to cover. Yes. So I don't know what the answer is to that. I think that the Netflix bubble has to burst eventually. They can't keep producing this much content, 
But for right now, it's just everyone's throwing dollars, uh, streaming streaming dollars at things. So. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is one of the strange things about this environment is everyone the, – the stereotype is, oh, movies are so terrible and television is so good right now. And I'm not saying there aren't good television shows out there right now, but it seems to me like the ratio is about the same right sure. now. There's just a lot of There's TV. a ton of TV. There are so many shows now, and maybe some more of them have a patina of prestige or intelligence than some of the movies do. And by and large, the, the movies are generally stupider and bigger. Um, but I don't know. I, I, see a, I see a lot of big, stup- quote-unquote, stupid movies that are being made by talented people that are interesting. And I see a lot of quote unquote prestigious television shows that are really long and kind of stupid. Yeah. So I'm I'm not saying that that they're all the all these shows are bad. I'm just saying that to me, TV has better. Like their t- movie needs a new PR person. The movies need new PR people, and the TV the TV's PR people are doing the right job because everyone raves about how good television is. And to me. There's not that much difference in terms of the ratio of quality because, as Allison said, it's the fire hose. There is so much stuff, and I sample some of these Netflix and Amazon and Hulu shows now, and I'm like, this is not good. It looks better than than television did 15, 20 years ago, but it's 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 not uh, – content-wise, it's not that much better. Right, ben wants to know, what would your ideal release of a film not on Criterion be that desperately needs to be on Criterion? Point break. Point Break. Isn't there a good Point Break like Blu-ray though? That's not the question. <laughs> question is what deserves to be on Criterion? <sighs> I mean, everyone's again, everyone's going to expect me to say like Jim Cotta, but it's too obvious. <laughs> it's way too obvious. Um Oh, this is such a hard question. I didn't find it hard. Well, because you picked a bad answer. That was a bad answer. Excellent answer. No. It's too oh, I got a good one. Uh, the movie Orgy. Do you know what the movie Orgy is? No. It's this uh, Joe Dante. This is like a Joe Dante. It's like a supercut before supercuts existed. It's like four hours long. It's all this weird, old uh, – I'm reading this now from Letterboxd. Commercials, music clips, newsreels, blooper outtakes, satiric short films, promotional and government films – all cut together. It's like four hours long. I saw it. It's because he doesn't own the material. He can only show it at museums or places where he's in attendance. I saw this um, like a year or two ago at BAM here in Brooklyn. And uh, there was – I think it was part, maybe part of a Joe Dante retrospective and he was there to introduce it. And it's like four hours long. It's fantastic. It's so great. Um, but I don't think legally anyone could ever put it out on um, on home video. But – if I could pick one title, there you go. That's that's a good title to pick. The movie Orgy. There All we right. go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one more before we do a quick rapid fire titles and people that we were asked to weigh in on. Uh, Jason wants to know, what unpopular movie opinion do you have? It can be about anything. Um, unpopular yeah. movie well, opinion. Well, I will say this, Jason. I think that sometimes auteur theory is a trap. <laughs> I think that sometimes it leads to really tiresome writing. I'm not saying that it should be thrown out, but I think that sometimes it leads to uh, people going into a film that doesn't actually offer that much uh, prepared to give it the huge benefit of the doubt because uh, because they are seeing it as part of someone's larger filmography. And sometimes I think that 
it's it's not that interesting to look at a film only through this kind of very beneficial lens of a uh, presumption of great respect. Uh, so that would be my, <laughs> and also I think the auteur theory doesn't necessarily apply all that well to certainly those big blockbusters we're talking about now. Uh, we're in an age of commercial film where authorship is really not necessarily, not necessarily clear anymore. And I don't think that you would say the director is the be all end all author of franchise films uh, because it's usually uh, an executive somewhere who is actually the be all end all author. And sometimes a director gets tossed aside or Tony Gilroy and <laughs> as is the official term. Uh, and, and we don't even know what they actually did. Sure. In the final product. Yeah, that's fair. Although I, I mean, I, my, my response to that would just be to say, you know, apply it to producers. I'd like to read an aut- quote unquote auteur theory about, Kevin Feige or whoever would else. Would you? <laughs> yes, I would. See, if that someone just could like, write it. I mean, I don't think it's inaccurate, but also, God, that just seems like death to me. <laughs> we are. This is our first disagreement. The ah! podcast is over. Throw the mic on the ground. I, I think I would just reiterate what I, I think. I feel like what I just said a few minutes ago is, would be pretty unpopular to say, like, movies are not that much worse than television, like, as a whole. I feel like that movies are... Um, uh, you know, in their be- it's more popular or more, you know, sort of in vogue to uh, say movies are bad and television is really good these days. And I don't think that's true at all. So maybe that would be my unpopular opinion. Okay. To close this off. Yes. I have got uh, a bunch of different one-offs or people want us to weigh in on different movies or TV shows or, well, no TV shows, uh, different movies or directors and i have uh i figure we can try and alternate on this until one of us has to pass or has not known okay probably there'll be a bu- i'm sure I've, i'm looking at the list and there's yeah. definitely some that all right well let's start with eric i reordered this okay uh, eric wants to know bubba hotep what do we think of that i no. saw bubba hotep once when it premiered i think bruce campbell may have been there it was like a midnight screening premiere in new york thought it was fun have not seen it since okay uh lauren wants to know what i think of author the jt leroy story i think this movie is great i think it's a mesmerizing documentary that is has like a very uh, unreliable narrator uh giving its main interview which i think was what really turned off some people about it that yes. she was it seemed to be giving her such credence and such a spotlight but i thought that was what was so great about it that she you're watching her and just being like, you're trying to win us over. Like you are weaving a story for us. So I loved it. I think it's a great movie. Okay. Heath wants to know, Jim Cotta, great movie or greatest movie? I guess I shouldn't have mentioned it. So we could have like, I could have gone off for like 10 minutes here. I mean, it's obviously the greatest movie. Obviously. Fair enough. Have you ever watched it? No. We've... <laughs> In podcasting together for a dozen I feel like years. At this point, I will never watch it. What if I gave you my copy today on my my DVD? No. What if we did a Kickstarter it's for that? So much better when I just know it through how you have talked about it. All right. Yeah. What a shame. Yeah. Uh, Rosalie wants to know uh, what we think of the films of Satoshi Kon, uh, especially Perfect Blue. Um, I love Satoshi Kon. Uh, people have over the years pointed out that we don't talk about anime all that much. Um, and I think that, I mean, there's just so much anime out there, but I feel like we have dipped into anime on occasion. And Satoshi Kon is one of my favorites. Um, Paprika is probably my favorite of his, but you know, uh, Perfect Blue is like something I saw when I was in high school and loved it. Um, and I think we've mentioned all of 
his his unsadly too short career, all of the films he's put out since yeah. then. Um, and he, I think, is uh, you know a uh, master of the form. You've um, you've been beating you've beaten the drum for him consistently on this show over the years for yeah. sure. Uh, and and a know, lot of his films are not available on streaming, which is very annoying. Yes, but I know you've. I mean, I've watched a couple of his. I haven't seen all of them, but the ones I've watched have been because you're such a big fan and been recommending them. Yeah. Jim wants to know what we think of they shoot horses, don't they? Um, I have I've seen they shoot horses, don't they? That is is one of the like that i mean it's 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 like what do they call dance marathon um where like people like literally like dance until they drop like and it's watching the movie is like the experience of that it is punishing and exhausting like it is just a <laughs> depressing movie i saw it once and it was just like you feel like you uh you know when you put a, a towel in water and then you wring it out this that movie makes you feel like the towel after it's been wrung out by the end of it you're just spent it's just bleh. <laughs> it's good yes. well very well made but just emotionally just exhausting crushing. yeah crushing yeah. yes uh scott wants to know what you think of emir costa rica's black cat white cat i have seen this so long ago that i barely remember never, anything about except being like generally fond of it uh emir costa rica is one of those people who was like a kind of darling of of the international film festival scene for a while and then i think it's kind of faded away and i'm not sure why uh, maybe it's his, I think that I've I, I heard a little about his personal politics, but I don't, don't know anything about it, but, um, I think maybe that's part of the reason why, but yeah, sorry. I can't go into more detail than that. It's been so long, but I was generally, generally a fan. All right. Noah wants to know, uh, what our take on Apocalypto is. Matt, do you have an Apocalypto take? I don't. I'm that's, I saw it and. I don't remember it very <laughs> it does, well. That's a take. It that's my take. I'm sorry. Linger. I'm sorry. No, it hasn't lingered. Yeah. yeah. That's another one. I, unlike They Shoot Horses, don't they? Which I saw once and have never forgotten. Uh, that one didn't do much for me. Okay. Christian wants to know what we think about one of my favorites, his favorites, the 2004 Wong Kar Wai film, 2046. Uh, it is my favorite Wong Kar Wai film. Really? Uh, which I know is maybe that's a popular opinion. Yes. Uh, it is. I feel like it's kind of his his remix film like it pulls together all of these different elements not just from in the mood for love but like his different movies but i love the kind of uh, uh the ways in which it's just so sumptuous and like emotionally extravagant but uh and beautiful uh i just i feel like it is it best encapsulates the world that i want to visit in his films um i right. like it you like it <laughs> I love it. Oh, here's one that you, here's one for you from William's brother, Elliot, who asks, where do you see Nick Cage's career going oh. and what's the best movie he's made in the last four years? Well, probably, I mean, I haven't seen a, a Mandy yet. That's a movie that's gotten a lot of positive reviews and I just, the trailer looks amazing. The trailer just came out last week as we're recording this. So who knows? Maybe that'll be it. I'm very much looking forward to that. But I mean, Mom and Dad, I, we talked about that earlier. I thought that was a that was a really good movie. That wasn't just like, oh, look, Nick Cage is acting crazy, although he does act crazy in it. Also, it's just a good movie. Um, so that would be my vote uh, from the last couple of years for sure. Um, where I see his career going, I mean, I think I, I mean I do I don't I don't up and up and up and up. I, I don't know if he has a reconnaissance in him where I see him like doing like prestige television. I think. I think he's probably stuck where he is right he's, now. He's got to make money. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it seems like he's finding ways to make more like sort of interesting little movies in addition to like the 10 direct to video schlockers that he makes too, which I, I'm fine with. I'm like, if I get like one or two really good 
uh, Nick Cage Gonzo performances every couple of years. I'm I'm a happy camper. I mean, it would be great to see him doing some big things again, but I I really I have a hard time given who he is and how he is. I have a hard time imagining his his you know his comeback. I guess it's possible though. It could happen, um, but I, I I don't see it happening anytime soon. All right. Uh, we have a question from Patrick about what we think about uh, Shion Sono, the Japanese filmmaker. Um, I mean, he's extraordinarily prolific. I feel like he's extremely hit or miss. Yes. I don't know that he's ever made a single movie that I would consider full on great, though. I guess maybe Love Exposure. Love Exposure, I was going to say. Yeah, is the closest one. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed X-Tay, the one about the haunted hair extensions. I don't. Oh, you talked about it. I never. I still have never seen that one. Um, yeah. I, you know, he's, I think, a really interesting filmmaker, but also I feel like it's it's one of those things where you feel like someone is already kind of halfway out the door, halfway through the film. Yeah, I like starts crumbling. I hit or miss is exactly what I was going to say. I, I loved Love Exposure, and then Tokyo Tribe. I kind of hated. Yeah. Um, all right, Ben wants to know why is Blood Diner not a more established cultural touchstone? Ben, that's a great question. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. Okay. <laughs> uh, another one. Aaron wants to know the adventures of Ford Farlin. Fairlane. 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 Excuse me. Greatest How movie of the early How dare 90s. you not know the oeuvre of Andrew Dice Clay? Yeah, I, I had never even heard of this movie before. Oh yes, greatest movie of the early nineties, or just the most underappreciated? It's uh, it's uh, it's a, it's 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 the Jim Cotta of Andrew Dice Clay movies. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Jose asks, uh, wants to know what we think of Xavier, Xavier Dolan. He's a filmmaker I haven't, uh, I'm not very well versed in. I've, I, he's uh, someone who's, I need to watch more of his films. Allison, you, I'm sure, have a more informed opinion. I think he's an incredibly talented filmmaker who has yet to make a movie that I think entirely works mm -hmm. especially like mommy which is my favorite of his it's yeah. just like it's so exuberant and bursting with life and yeah. also so indulgent at times and yeah, i feel I mean, like he's, he's just, very he's so young, young. He's, he's, i think yes. he, i don't think he's 30 yet yes. and uh that's the way i feel when i watch his movies is that that they, like, they feel that way to you me. can feel that he's going to make something really great yes i hated his last film <laughs> um, which was the last one uh, um i can't remember what it was called uh the end of the world it was just like a, it's only the end of the it's world only the end of the world yeah. i really really I didn't. It. I haven't seen that um, one. But yeah, I think I'm so excited to always to see his new films and always excited to to see what's next. So uh, we're wrapping things up here. It's uh, thank you for. I'm out. Yep. Bye. See ya. Oh, you can, wow. You just turn off the when you're done. Yeah. You really turn just. Are you just gonna leave me in the dark in yeah, the I'm basement here? Yeah. Um. We just wanted to say thank you for writing to us over the years and for listening to us over the years it still is amazing to me that people want to listen to us just blather about movies and have for so long uh thank you for sending all of your letters uh and for following us on twitter and for all of the things um i did want to uh, itunes reviews yes. um i did want to put out a kind of gentle reminder there uh that i mean podcasting is always a labor of love which is not to say that people don't mess up but i think that sometimes one of the things that like one of the weirdest lessons to have taken from doing this for over 10 years is like the degree to which people kind of will send you notes that kind of like dem make demands of you uh will send notes complaining about how annoying your voice is i was actually i really, don't know what they're talking about i was, I was really 
it was kind of perfect that someone in sending a very lovely, like, I'll miss you guys note sent me saying like, please work on your vocal fry, <laughs> which is a complaint that every female podcaster I know so. gets from men, only from men. And it's only ever directed at women. I well, not to only the have, point where it's been written about multiple times. I not only have the most annoying voice on the planet. I do nothing but talk like an idiot. I make stupid noises. <laughs> I make funny voices. No one ever complains. Yeah. If you ever feel the urge to send uh, a female radio or podcast host a complaint about how annoying you think her voice is for some reason, don't do it. I'm just going to tell you right now. Constructive help. The problem is yours. (laughs) It's extremely gendered and it's not good. People don't thank you. The people don't say like, oh, what a nice suggestion. Thank you. They say, oh, look. It's another dude uh, thinking this is appropriate. I think in a more general sense, what you're saying is important, though, too. It's like the people who make these podcasts, uh, as you said, they're doing it out of love. They are not they are not doing it uh, for the the millions of dollars. Yes, there are a few people who are probably making bank off a podcast. Of course, for the most part, at best, you're making a small trickle of money. And for most people, making nothing. Right. I mean, we certainly, I think at the end, we're spending more money oh, getting more to money. each other's houses spending, yes. and, and buying, and renting, buying titles. renting movies Absolutely. and all of that than we were making. Right. And I still, I mean, I've really enjoyed doing it, but I think it's always good to remember that even like the really professional sounding ones of these are usually, unless they're actually made by a company that is in the business of podcasting or is in the business of something else and paying for a podcast, it's a really labor intensive thing to do that people are probably not making money off of. Yeah. And in a more positive sense, if you listen to a podcast right now that you enjoy and you haven't sent them a note saying, hey, we appreciate you, send it to them today. They don't have to be going off the air. I guarantee you it will make their day better if you write them and say, I really like your show. I've been listening to it for five years. I enjoy it. I guarantee you they will appreciate it a lot. Yeah. It seems like there are so many podcasts out there, which there are, but at the same time, it's also still a really niche world. And it's one, I think, where a lot of people still have no idea what a podcast is. Yes. (laughs) You know, so I think it's always good to at least... Even if it's just words of support, uh, give people your support. Constructive criticism is great. Absolutely. But that's not what you're talking about. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's been a real pleasure talking to you all of these years. Yes. uh, Into microphones in your basement. And or my daughter's nursery. daughter's nursery. Um, When we started doing this one, we did it. I had an office. I know. And then I didn't have an office anymore. A whole other apartment ago. Yes. That was a different apartment. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, I think... You'll find us on other podcasts as well and on Twitter and uh, please read our writing. Yeah. You know, I'd say there's a higher than 0% chance that this happens again at some point. Sure. Maybe we'll do a live show someday also. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) if someone wants to book us for a live show. We'll absolutely. We'll show up. We will show up. Yeah. Yeah. You can just talk to Yeah. Email us or contact us. Like we would be happy to do that. Not every week. But but yeah, absolutely. A live show. We'd be absolutely down for that. No, this is that we didn't. We're not stopping because we hate each other. Yes, I'm, we are stopping because we hate each other. He's the worst. He's so whisper. bad. My God, he's awful. <sighs> <laughs> no, it's it's been a lot of fun. Other than the emails <laughs> that but weren't so still, nice. Uh, yeah, or the one who called us hipsters. 
pretentious hipsters. Tough but fair. Well, I'm going to say it. Tough yeah. but fair. I like to think of myself as extremely cool. I, w- I wish I was a hipster. <laughs> if they could only see us recording in my basement, like, in like surrounded by toys. Only you knew. Surrounded by baby toys. Just how hip we are. Mm-hmm. Nothing Incredibly sa- cool. Nothing says hip like podcasting next to Cinderella's, uh, what is, is her, uh, her, uh, it's pumpkin. Her carriage, her carriage. Obviously. It's a pumpkin. Her carriage yeah, but it's there. also like a convenient case. Yes, it's yeah. a carrying case for the little people. Oh. Uh, but, been... but you also like you will be able to find our archive yes. it will continue to live uh, yes you know the more spotting svu.com and also if you want to find our older episodes go to the bottom of that page click on archive and then pull up film spotting svu and all of our older episodes are there yes so those will live on one final uh, thank you to vince vandal a person we never met yeah, we have no idea. We who haven't talked is. to in six years. Yes, he was a guy we connected through with a, a, one of our listeners of our old show hooked us up. I needed someone to do the remix of a, of the film spotting theme. Vince was nice enough to do it. We thank never you, heard. Vince. From, thank you, Vince. Yeah. Wherever you are, if you're still, I hope you're still alive. Yeah, I don't know. VinceVandal.VanCamp.com. Vin, that's his website. Yep, uh, he did that remix for us, and uh, we never changed it uh, in six years. Uh, and yeah, keep following us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. We will still be on there. As Allison said, we will not really be uh, using that film. Yeah, we're going to be retiring uh, that account. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll just do it occasionally. Yeah, I think you should. Anytime Jimkata pops up on a new service. I'm sure. It's, I'm I will always, be there. Always popping up all over the place. They'll send up the Jimkata signal in the darkness and I'll answer <laughs> like Batman. But with more gymnastics. Anyone else we have to thank? We should thank everyone over at Film the Film Spotting Mothership, Adam yeah. and and Sam. Who uh, they were the and ones who Josh kind of were putting up suggested. Yes, we could, we it could all bring started back. when yep. Adam called me, and we'd known each other. I just had been a fan originally of of his podcast and became friendly. And he just said, "What would you think about?" And uh, that was it. That was how it started. That was. Uh, I'd like to thank all of the Law & Order SVU fans who would follow us and retweet us on Twitter sometimes mm. without looking very carefully at our accounts. I will say the one reason I didn't want to stop was because I was determined that we would outlast <laughs> the, the last Law & Order SVU. Law and order. and know, somehow we didn't. That's kind of embarrassing it because that show is literally has over 400 episodes. Well, you know... I mean, sometimes things last for a reason. People love Mariska Hargitay. <laughs> they were harder core than we were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you to them. I guess thank you to my wife. Yeah. She does, she's, she's, she's put up with a lot. She of, has put uh, up with a lot. Of our scheduling things. Yes. She's not going to ever listen to this. So it really doesn't matter if I thank her, but let's do it anyway, just in case. I think that's it. Yeah. It's been fun. It's been really fun. All right. Well, for Film Spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.